Welcome to this special episode of The Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. To facilitate timely dissemination of important preliminary data on COVID-19 in vaccinated patients with hematologic malignancies, we are presenting a special edition of The Blood Podcast. These accepted articles are now available online at Blood First Edition. All four studies included in this podcast present preliminary data with modest numbers of patients, and therefore the findings should be interpreted with these limitations. Likewise, the impact of specific strains and waning antibody levels after COVID-19 vaccination will require further follow-up since the Delta variant was not the dominant strain in circulation at the time of this research. The first two studies assessed the immune responses to vaccination in two specific high-risk populations, namely patients with lymphoma and multiple myeloma. The last two studies, one from a large European consortium and the other based on nationwide data from Israel, report on the incidence, risk factors, and short-term outcomes of COVID-19 breakthrough infection in vaccinated patients with hematologic malignancies. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled Humoral and Cellular Responses After COVID-19 Vaccination in Anti-CD20-Treated Lymphoma Patients by Nora Liebers from the National Center for Tumor Diseases, Heidelberg, Germany, and colleagues. Prior research has shown that humoral immune responses after vaccination are impaired in many patients with hematological malignancies. Particularly worrisome are the reports of poor responses in patients treated with B-cell-depleting therapies such as anti-CD20 antibodies. To date, only limited information is available about T-cell-mediated vaccine responses after anti-CD20 treatment. The single-center study investigated the humoral and cellular responses after COVID-19 vaccination in 80 lymphoma patients who had received anti-CD20 treatment. 56% of the enrolled patients received their last anti-CD20 treatment less than 12 months prior to vaccination. Most patients received one of the two mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. The study found that both cellular and humoral responses were impaired after COVID-19 vaccination in lymphoma patients who have received anti-CD20 therapies. The overall seroconversion rate after two vaccine doses was 41%. In addition, the median antibody levels of patients with seroconversion after vaccination were remarkably lower than the antibody levels reported in healthy mRNA-vaccinated cohorts. Patients who received their last anti-CD20 treatment at least 12 months prior to vaccination had an overall response rate of 68%. In contrast, the response rate in patients who received their last anti-CD20 treatment within 3 to 12 months was only 22%. Furthermore, patients who were within three months of treatment had a response rate of 16%. Interestingly, antibody responses did not differ in patients who received anti-CD20 monotherapy versus combination treatment with chemotherapy and anti-CD20 antibodies. High CD4 cell counts were found to be an independent predictor of serologic response. The study also assessed the T-cell responses after COVID-19 vaccination in patients and fully vaccinated healthy donors using the interferon gamma Ellis-spot assay. A specific T-cell response after incubation with two overlapping peptide pools representing the complete spike protein was found in 58% of vaccinated patients and 72% of controls. Furthermore, 70% of seroconverted patients exhibited a T-cell response. Surprisingly, 50% of patients without a seroconversion also had a T-cell response. 
In contrast to serological responses, vaccine-induced T-cell responses were not dependent on the interval between the last anti-CD20 treatment and vaccination. In addition, the rate of T-cell responses was not reduced in those receiving chemotherapy in addition to anti-CD20 treatment. Notably, these authors and others previously found that healthy controls can exhibit negative Ellis spot results after COVID-19 vaccination despite successful seroconversion. Therefore, the true percentages of patients developing T-cell immunity after COVID-19 vaccination may be underestimated in this study. Taken together, these results suggest that patients with recent or ongoing anti-CD20 therapy who have insufficient humoral immune responses after COVID-19 vaccination might still benefit from vaccination by developing a cellular immune response. Furthermore, T-cell responses could be of particular importance for patients who become infected with COVID-19 because effective T-cell responses are essential for viral clearance. Lastly, even if infections are not prevented, T-cell responses may still be sufficient to decrease the severity of COVID-19 disease in this patient population. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Severe Impairment of T-Cell Responses to BNT162B2 Immunization in Multiple Myeloma Patients by Julius Ensel from the Department of Hematology and Oncology, University Hospital, Frankfurt, Germany, and colleagues. Multiple myeloma can be associated with suppression of the immune system. Due to both the disease and its treatment, most myeloma patients lack normal B-cell function and are susceptible to severe infections. The first U.S. study of COVID-19 infection in multiple myeloma patients reported mortality rates of almost 20%. In multiple myeloma, highly variable but impaired serological responses to COVID-19 vaccination have been reported in several studies. Even lower serologic immunization success rates were found in elderly patients and those receiving active treatment. Limited data are available on the T-cell immune response post-COVID-19 vaccination in multiple myeloma patients. This single-center observational study monitored the SARS-CoV-2 specific T-cell response following two doses of the BNT162B2, or Pfizer-BioNTech, COVID-19 vaccine in a clinically well-defined cohort of multiple myeloma patients. The authors also correlated their findings with serological response and immunological parameters prior to and after vaccination. 77 multiple myeloma patients and 24 controls were included in this interim analysis. Analysis of COVID-19 spike-binding IgG antibody levels after the second dose revealed lower median IgG levels, 191.4 versus 1,520.3 binding antibody units per milliliter in multiple myeloma patients compared to healthy controls. The generation of neutralizing antibody titers against both the wild-type COVID-19 strain and the alpha variant 117 was also significantly impaired in myeloma patients, with titers of 1 in 10 compared to healthy controls, where titers were 1 in 40. Neutralization titers greater than or equal to 1 in 20 are considered protective against SARS-CoV-2. Non-responders were older than responders, 70 compared to 64 years, and were more frequently receiving multiple myeloma therapy. Namely, 50.5% of non-responders were receiving active treatment compared to 19.5% non-responders not receiving active treatment. The impairment in serological responses was especially evident in patients receiving ongoing multiple myeloma therapy, but was less pronounced in patients on maintenance therapy. Next, the authors analyzed immune cell subsets of peripheral blood before and after vaccination and their correlation with serological responsiveness. 
Overall, the patients showed decreased CD19-positive B-cell and CD4-positive T-cell counts. Interestingly, no differences between serological responders and non-responders were observed for CD3-positive and CD8-positive T-cell subsets and their activation state. Conversely, there was a significantly lower median concentration of CD19-positive B lymphocytes per microliter in non-responders compared to serological responders before and after vaccination. A significantly lower median concentration of CD4-positive T-cells was also found in serological non-responders following vaccination. The authors also analyzed functional T-cell responses after two doses of the BNT162B2 mRNA vaccine using the Elispot assay in 38 patients with multiple myeloma and 14 healthy controls. Patients with multiple myeloma displayed a lower probability of T-cell response compared to healthy controls with only 34.2% achieving a response compared to 71.4% of healthy individuals. Serologically responding multiple myeloma patients often exhibited better T-cell responses compared to serologic non-responders. However, some serologic non-responders with myeloma also achieved significant T-cell responses. No independent factors contributing to impaired T-cell responses in multiple myeloma patients were identified in a multivariate logistic regression analysis. To better characterize the distribution of SARS-CoV-2-specific T-cell subpopulations, fluorescence-activated cell sorting analyses were performed in a subcohort of patients and healthy controls. The authors observed a limited increase in interferon gamma and IL-2-presenting CD3-positive T-cells in multiple myeloma patients compared to healthy controls after SARS-CoV-2-specific peptide stimulation. In addition, they found a lower frequency of interferon gamma-positive and IL-2-positive secreting CD4-positive T-cells in myeloma patients whereas the frequency of interferon gamma-positive CD8-positive T-cells after stimulation did not differ between patients in healthy controls. In conclusion, this study found reduced serological and T-cell responses following two doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in multiple myeloma patients compared to healthy controls. Although more data with longer follow-up are needed, the findings thus far support the design of trials with repetitive booster vaccinations in immunocompromised patients to try to augment tepid B and T-cell responses. While awaiting these studies, blood cancer patients should get the booster dose, ideally in the scope of a clinical trial. In general, the authors urge vaccination of all eligible individuals. In preliminary studies, approximately 50% of the hematologic malignancy patients who were seronegative after the initial vaccination series seroconverted after receiving the booster dose. Studies are also in progress to examine the performance of prophylactic monoclonal antibody cocktails to treat high-risk patients who fail to seroconvert after vaccination. When it is unknown whether an immunocompromised patient has achieved sufficient immunity, that patient should follow the guidelines for non-vaccinated patients. The next two articles we will discuss present data on the consequences of impaired responses to COVID-19 vaccination in patients with hematologic malignancies. The first study entitled COVID-19 in Vaccinated Adult Patients with Hematological Malignancies presents the preliminary results from epicovid eha by Livio Pagano from Catholic University of Sacred Heart, Rome, Italy, and collaborators, reporting on behalf of the European Hematology Association Infectious Diseases Working Party. 
This multi-center study prospectively collected data on COVID-19 infections in vaccinated adults with hematological malignancies. In April 2020, the European Hematology Association Infectious Diseases Working Party launched a web-based registry to collect all cases of COVID-19 infections in adults with hematological malignancies. 3,801 cases were reported to the registry with an overall mortality rate of approximately 31%. On January 1, 2021, the registry was expanded to include fully or partially vaccinated adult patients with hematological malignancies who developed COVID-19. The goal of the registry was to collect and assess vaccine efficacy and identify categories of patients that may be less well-protected by the vaccines. From January 1st to December 31st, 2021, all participating institutions documented episodes of COVID-19 in their vaccinated patients with hematologic malignancies. Data collected included the presence of any underlying conditions before SARS-CoV-2 infection, hematological malignancy status, management before SARS-CoV-2, and details about SARS-CoV-2 infection, vaccination status, and mortality. Patients were considered fully vaccinated if the final dose was administered at least 14 days before symptom onset or a positive PCR test for SARS-CoV-2. As of August 31, 2021, 113 COVID-19 infections were reported among partially or completely vaccinated patients. 61.1% of patients were male and 85.8% were over 50 years of age. More than 80% of patients had an underlying lymphoproliferative malignancy, including chronic lymphocytic leukemia, non-Hodgkin or Hodgkin lymphoma, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and multiple myeloma. At COVID-19 diagnosis, 68.1% of patients were receiving or had received treatment for their underlying hematological malignancy within the last three months. Most of the patients received an mRNA vaccine. 69.9% received the vaccine manufactured by BioNTech-Pfizer, while 17.7% received the Moderna vaccine. The remaining 12.4% received a vector-based vaccine. The median time for the last vaccine dose to COVID-19 diagnosis was 64 days, with a range of 33.5 to 108 days. 87 patients, or 77%, were considered fully vaccinated. Viral genomes were analyzed in only 32.7% of cases, with the alpha variant most frequently detected. Post-vaccine IgG levels against the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein were analyzed in 35.4% of fully vaccinated patients. Among these patients, only 32.5% had an antibody response to the vaccine. An adequate response was observed in two-thirds and a weak response in one-third of the responding patients. A striking 67.5% of tested patients had no response. Unfortunately, the clinical course of infected patients was quite serious, with 60.4% having severe or critical infections and 66.4% needing hospital admission. Furthermore, 21.3% of infected patients required care in an intensive care unit, with over half needing mechanical ventilation. The overall 30-day mortality rate was 12.4%. The study found that COVID-19 was the main or secondary cause of death for all but one of the patients. There was no statistical difference in mortality between partially or fully vaccinated patients, 15.4% versus 11.5%, or between vaccine responders versus non-responders, 13.3% versus 15.6%. 
A multivariable analysis showed that the only factor independently related to the risk of death in vaccinated patients was age. The authors further found that 71.4% of the patients who died had an underlying lymphoproliferative malignancy. Interestingly, none of the patients who died had underlying acute myeloid leukemia, which was a factor contributing to one of the highest mortality rates in non-vaccinated patients in the same registry. The overall mortality observed in the patients, although lower than the approximately 31% in the pre-vaccinated period, remained high at 12.4%. Hospitalization and mortality were substantially higher compared to the fully vaccinated general population with hospitalization rates of 2% to 3%. The authors cited that these preliminary observations are hampered by a low number of breakthrough infection cases in vaccinated patients. With new patients still being added to the registry, updated findings, especially related to the emergence of the Delta variant, are eagerly awaited. Lastly, we will review a report entitled Effectiveness of the BNT162B2 mRNA COVID-19 Vaccine in Hematological Patients in a Nationwide Mass Vaccination Setting by Moshe Middleman from Tel Aviv, Saraski Medical Center, Tel Aviv, Israel, and colleagues. In this study, the authors assessed the effectiveness of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine in patients with hematological malignancies by analyzing the records of 52% of Israel's population. While randomized trials have proven the efficacy of mRNA-based vaccines in preventing COVID-19, they did not specifically evaluate patients with solid tumors and hematological neoplasms or those with impaired immunity. Therefore, data on vaccine effectiveness in this patient population is limited. Israel had an early successful mass vaccination strategy using the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Most patients with hematological neoplasms in Israel received COVID-19 vaccinations as a standard of care and were followed through a centralized patient database. The current study examined the relative effectiveness of the vaccine in patients with hematological neoplasms compared with vaccinated matched controls. The base population for the study comprised individuals from the Klalid Health Services, the largest healthcare organization in Israel, which ensures 4.7 million people, representing 52% of the population. Overall, 32,156 individuals with a hematological malignancy were identified and compared to vaccinated matched controls without a hematological malignancy. The median age of the studied patient population was 70 years, with 52% being males. 5,107, or 15.9% of patients enrolled on the study, were actively receiving therapy for their hematological disease, while the remaining were not on treatment. The study found that vaccinated patients with hematological neoplasms were more likely to suffer from COVID-19 than vaccinated matched controls. Their risk ratio was higher for all tested outcomes. Furthermore, patients with hematological neoplasms had a higher incidence of documented COVID-19 infections and symptomatic disease, with risk ratios of 1.60 and 1.72 respectively. COVID-19-related hospital admissions were three times more common compared to controls. The risk ratios for severe COVID-19 and COVID-19-related death in this cohort were 2.27 and 1.66 respectively. When the analysis was restricted to patients actively receiving treatment for their hematological malignancy, the risks were substantially higher. Namely, the risk ratios were 2.74 for documented COVID-19 infection 
3.09 for symptomatic disease, 10.81 for hospital admission, 8.97 for severe disease, and 19.31 for death. Only a few diagnostic subgroups had sufficient numbers of patients to analyze the COVID-19 risk by disease type. These included patients with lymphoma and multiple myeloma. The vaccinated hematological patient population included 16,577 patients with lymphoma. Compared with the vaccinated matched controls, lymphoma patients had more COVID-19 infections, symptomatic disease, and hospital admissions with respective risk ratios of 2.75, 4.34, and 13.87. Importantly, the risk of severe disease and COVID-19-related deaths were much higher in these patients compared to controls, with risk ratios of 12.06 and 15.13, respectively. In 1,014 multiple myeloma patients receiving anti-myeloma treatment, similar elevations in risk were found with higher rates of infections, symptomatic disease, hospital admissions, and severe disease compared to controls. The risk ratios exceeded 4 for all these events. Subgroups of patients with other hematological neoplasms, including acute leukemia, myeloproliferative neoplasms, and myelodysplastic syndromes, were also analyzed but the groups were too small to allow meaningful conclusions. The study further found that vaccinated hematological patients treated with erythropoietin or rituximab were also at a relatively higher risk of COVID-19 infection, complications, and death. It is likely that more advanced hematological disease is responsible for the increased risk of developing COVID-19 complications. The decreased vaccine effectiveness in patients with hematological neoplasms observed in this study correlates well with other reports, suggesting that these patients failed to produce high titers of anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies. In keeping with the other reports in this podcast, the authors concluded that effectiveness of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is reduced in patients with hematological malignancies, especially in those on active treatment. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.